So I'm in Romans chapter 7, and today I want to talk to you about need, N-E-E-D, need. That's a word I use a lot in my life. By way of full disclosure, I've already told you I like shoes. Go ahead, judge me. I like shoes. I'm looking at other people in here that like shoes too. So if I'm in a store that sells men's shoes, <laughs> I'm looking. And if they're on sale or they're on clearance, this will come out of my mouth. Oh, I need these. And my sweet wife will look at me and say, do you really need those? You know, need is sometimes perceived and it is sometimes real. Sometimes we will make decisions in life that will make things easier for us because there's a perceived need. If I've not had enough coffee by 2 o'clock, honey child, I need some coffee. And those around me will often admit, yep, he needs it. Let's get that IV bag, fill it with coffee. Sometimes in life, we perceive needs. Sometimes we have real needs. This week, Ashley and I heard about and went to see a documentary. It is about the Free Burma Rangers. That may be a group you've never heard of. It is a relief agency that started in Burma about 1997. A missionary kid who had left the mission field and gone to serve in special forces in the U.S. Army heard about the Burmese that were being persecuted Heard about the Burmese refugees who were in a very hopeless state. And so he founded an organization called Free Burmese Rangers. It is described as a humanitarian relief agency working to bring help and hope and love to people in conflict. And since 1997, this relief agency has worked to help the Burmese people. And then some people in Iraq reached out to the free Burma Rangers. And they began to describe to this gentleman and to his relief organization how the fight in and over Iraq was having a detrimental effect on the Yazidi Christians in that country. And he said it was never a matter of debate. He knew that he would go. He knew that he would help. And so the documentary, which is presented by Christian organizations, opens with him in Iraq, and they are describing this relief mission specifically on a street in Mosul. And the camera pans over to what appears to be a storage unit. And behind that storage unit, there is a small group of individuals, men and women, boys and girls. And one by one, snipers are taking out those Yazidi Christians. And they watch in horror as it comes down to one lone survivor, a little girl, dark hair, dark eyes, wrapped now in the cloak that her mother had been wearing just a few minutes before. And they describe how they know that if they don't do something quickly, 
that young lady is going to die. I tell you that story to describe for you that was a very real need. That young lady needed help. That young lady needed to be rescued. If she was going to survive physically, someone would have to come to her rescue. And they do. Before we leave today, I want to make clear through the Word of God what a need all of us have. In this day and age when there are perceived needs which can be blurred with real needs, I'm going to tell you today, there is something that you absolutely 100% need. And we find it in Romans chapter 7. Paul has been writing and he has become very honest, very open, very personal. And if you were here last week, there was some language in the first half of Romans chapter 7 that caused people to look and say, is he really talking about himself or is he talking about Jews? Is he talking about those who've come out of Judaism? Who in the world is he talking about? And when you come to Romans chapter 7 verse 14, the language is abundantly clear. Paul is describing himself. And when we leave today, we're going to see that what Paul needed, we all need. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, For we know that the law is spiritual. And Paul says, But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Would you pray with me? We bow before you, our Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that under the leadership and inspiration of your Holy Spirit, your servant Paul poured out his heart. And he makes clear the need that he has. And Lord, I believe the need that he has is the same that we all have. Would you today, by your Holy Spirit, teach us, challenge us, encourage us, draw us nearer to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, I am of the flesh. He says, I'm sold under sin. Some translations say, sold as a slave to sin. It is a descriptive way, a poetic way of saying that he is struggling with the flesh, struggling with sin because of the flesh. Now, some of you have been here through what I have preached thus far from the book of Romans, and you may remember some of the beautiful words from Romans chapter 6 when Paul said some very powerful things about sin. In fact, in Romans chapter 6 verse 2, Paul said, we've died to sin. In verse 6 of chapter 6, he says, our old self was crucified. In verse 11, he said, I'm dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 says, you ought let not reign in your body sin. Verse 14 says, sin will have no dominion over you. Verse 18 of chapter 6 says, we've been set free from sin. Why now would he say something as audacious as I'm sold under sin? Paul here 
wants us to understand our identity. And when Paul says, I am of the flesh, that is his way of expressing the weakness, the struggle, the bondage that we all have to the flesh. He says he's of the flesh. He didn't say he was in the flesh. I've done some things in the flesh. I've said some things in the flesh. I've prayed, Lord, deliver me from the flesh. Now you have to quit looking spiritual at me. He says, I'm of the flesh. That is our identity. Why? Because we are limited, we are frail, we are weak, we are of the flesh. And you can do everything you want to with this flesh, but it's still limited. I could determine today that I'm going to get in the best shape that I have ever been. I could eat right, exercise, lift weights. I could become the greatest human specimen. (laughs) I really could. All of us could, but there would still be limitations. There would still be things we could not do. I I could try to learn everything possible. I could do everything under the sun to keep my brain active. And and, and what you're going to find is that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. See, there are limits to this body. And so what Paul says that he is of the flesh, he is describing for us the sad reality that we are confined by and contained in feeble flesh. Our spirit has been changed. Our spirit has been renewed. Our spirit has been made new. Our spirit's been redeemed, but it is in this old flesh. Before I became your pastor, I was a weightlifter. I'm kidding. (laughs) Before I was your pastor, I was a state missionary for Alabama Baptist, and that meant that most days I got in my car and drove somewhere else in Alabama. There was a particular day I had a meeting in the morning in Huntsville, a meeting at night in Mobile. Every day of my life, I was crisscrossing this state. The church I had left to go to the state convention, there was a senior adult couple named Bill and Mary Hall, precious people. And they said, sometimes when you're in Birmingham, just come see us. Stay the night. We've got a guest room. We'll feed you. We'll have a good time. You won't have to spend money on a hotel. And I did that. I finished a meeting in Birmingham. I went to their house, and we did. We ate. We laughed. We had fun. I went to bed, got up, got in my car, put it in gear, and it didn't move. Now, folks, I'm not a mechanic. But I can tell you, if you put that thing in R or D, and it does not move, there's a problem. they said, oh, but you know so-and-so, he's a great transmission man. He's right here in Hueytown. Had my car towed to him. About a week later, he contacted me. Your car's ready. I got in my car. I put it in R, and it moved. I put it in drive, and it moved. It was a new transmission in a 1997 Toyota Avalon. Still didn't like the color. Still had all the dents. Still had a tear in the leather. Folks, I'm telling you, we've been made new. But it's in this same old body. See, our identity is that we are of the flesh. Paul, secondly, says not just understand your identity, understand our propensity. 
Now, that's a big word for just what we are inclined to do. Look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Understand our identity, but also understand our propensity. Paul is describing the reality of life. And it is the reality of all of our lives. There are going to be times when we will not understand why we do what we do. And there are going to be times when we don't understand why we seemingly can't do what we want to do. Now Paul again affirms that the law is good and the only reason why it's good is because the lawgiver is good. And God's intention was that seeing and understanding the law, it would push us, it would force us, it would thrust us, it would drive us into the arms of a merciful God. And in verse 17, he says, it is no longer I who do it. There is something within us that drives us to sin. He says we are made new. And friend, I want to tell you, we are made new. Sin is no longer the Lord, but sin lingers. It is close. It is just at hand, and it longs to have a place of prominence. Last week, Hosni Mubarak died. You probably didn't send flowers to his funeral. He was the longtime president, some people would say dictator of Egypt. Hosni Mubarak was a military hero in Egypt. During the war in the Sinai, he led the Air Force to the victory that they enjoyed. And Anwar Sadat saw that, realized his popularity, and made him his vice president. And Mubarak served until that fateful day when assassins came and assassinated Anwar Sadat. He immediately became president, and he also immediately instituted what some would call martial law. They called it emergency law to stabilize things. He just conveniently left that law in place for 30 years. And he reigned with an iron fist. And he reigned comfortably. And he reigned without question until... January of 2011, in the season that became known as the Arab Spring. And thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands would gather night after night after night. In fact, for 18 days in Tahrir Square in Cairo. And they were demanding one thing. Mubarak must go. Mubarak must go. And after 18 days, Mubarak went. Much to the world's surprise, he went. And he was put on trial, and he was found guilty, and he got out of prison. And he was put on trial, and he was found guilty, and he went back to prison, and he got out a second time. And when he got out, he bought a villa just down the road from the presidential compound. 
That power had been removed, but he was close at hand. He was close enough to influence. He was close enough to make people nervous. Friend, I want to tell you, in our lives, when we come to Christ, sin is defeated. But sin lingers close by. It's close enough to make any of us that have half a mind to know that we need to be careful. He says you need to understand your identity. You better understand your propensity because though sin is no longer in control, it is close by. And he told the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 5, Verse 17, that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. And in verse 18, Paul makes plain, nothing good dwells in him. There is nothing good In his flesh, he wants to do good. He wants to be right, but he struggles because of the flesh. Spiritually, he's new, but physically, it's old. The two natures are at war. It's like those people who think it's smart to have an exotic pet at home. And they're amazed when the boa constrictor gets out. And strangles their child. They are amazed when their pet tiger mauls them. I I read about a family who found a baby black bear cub. They brought him home. Is that really the first thought? They named him Teddy. How bad could this go? (laughs) And they were amazed when Teddy grew to be 350 pounds and a family member got in his cage to clean it. Oh, Teddy released a little bit of frustration on the family member. Why? That's their nature. And our nature is sin. Our nature is sinful. We, we can dress up, we can smell nice, we can go through all the religious activity. And don't misunderstand me, helpful as it is, that doesn't change our nature. It doesn't change the flesh. We're still prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one we love. Why? Because that's our nature. He says, understand your reality. Look at verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And some of you think, well, I've heard this before. Yeah, he's restating some of what he's already said. And he's driving home the point that the reality of our existence is that sin dwells within us. And he calls it a law. He's not referencing God's law. It's almost like he's saying it's a law of nature. 
It is something that is established, that is set, that is well known. And he says, I find, which is a word that means he's considered, he's dug, he's studied, he's looked at this. And he says that when I look inside, I find evil. So here's the deal, folks. The reality is that at our core and who we are in this flesh, we're evil. It doesn't mean we are all liars, but the potential is there. It doesn't mean we are thieves, but the potential is there. It does not mean we're all murderers, but the potential is there. When someone falls or something happens to them, it is as if this awareness then comes and they say, well, this could happen to anybody. And you know why they say it? Because it could happen to anybody. We all live in this flesh. And he says our members wage war. Listen, the victory is ours, but the battle rages on. And then the final word, I believe Paul says we should approach life with humility. He, he, he's been very personal, really and truly. I'm telling you, that I've got books and books. You can come see them. This scholar says, well, Paul's talking about this group. No, he's talking about this. No, this is what he's talking about. Paul's talking about himself. It's first person in the Greek. It's real-life illustrations. It's somebody telling the story as it is, as they know themselves to be. It is someone being honest. And he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This level of honesty makes some people very nervous. He said, well, he's a believer. He's a born-again believer. He was on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. He called him Lord. He is a missionary. He started churches. Good night. He's the apostle of God to the Gentiles. How can he say this? It is true. It has been said that the better someone knows the Lord the better they know themselves. It has been said the, the closer you and I understand and get to the holiness of God, the more we realize our sinfulness. And so here's the topic of need. At the very end of this passage, who will deliver me from the body of death? See, the, the, the reference here is that our body is still subject to death. We've not escaped sin. We've not escaped suffering. We've not escaped the sorrow of this flesh in this world in sin. Who will deliver, he says, this wretched, afflicted, miserable, distressed man? He needs to be rescued, and the word literally means to pull out. Who's going to pull me out of this? And then he says, 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the rescue. And friend, it's just like that poor little Yazidi girl. We sit surrounded by death. We sit in the midst of the horrible effects of sin. In our lives, in our families, in our communities. And Paul says, I need to be rescued. And then he tells us who's going to do it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who will deliver us. He's the one who will rescue us. He addressed this issue with the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he's acknowledging still the struggle we will have until, as he says, we put on the incorruptible. We live in the midst of that which is corruptible. So he says in 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, here's the struggle, perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Friend, you want to liven up a funeral, get the preacher to misquote that passage. When he says this body must put on immorality, you can see the eyebrows raise. <laughs> Where's the sermon going now, preacher? Paul's talking about what happens. The perishable puts on the imperishable. The mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You and I are going to fight the flesh until this body dies. And we put on the incorruptible. Paul was looking to Jesus for help. In this honest reflection of Romans, Jesus is described as the only one that can help us. Paul says, I need Jesus. Friend, I want to tell you, some of you today need Jesus. You need him, first of all, to save you from your sins. That's what happened to Paul. He was a sinner. He thought he was being so good and so right. He was a religious sinner. And on his way to Damascus, the Lord confronted him. And Paul was brought out of his spiritual death into spiritual life. And some of you today need to be brought from your spiritual death into spiritual life. We need Jesus to save us. But I'm telling you, those of us who've been saved, we need Jesus to satisfy us. We need Jesus to sustain us. We need Jesus to soothe us. We need Jesus. See, I think there are some folks who think, well, I got saved, therefore I'm good. Friend, I want to tell you, holiness is not being settled as we are, but constantly seeking as we ought to be. 
Holiness is not perfection. It is a constant pursuit of God. It is not lazy satisfaction, but longingly seeking after God in every moment. You need Jesus. She was a young mother, busy with the things that young mothers are busy with. She had small kids, and in that day, that meant diapers that were not thrown away. It meant housework. It meant cooking. It meant cleaning. It meant constant demands. And as a believer, she said at a particular moment, she was overwhelmed with the nearness of the master. Her words. And as she became so aware of his nearness, she also became aware of how she could not live apart from him. She took pen and paper and wrote the words, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed son. I need thee. Oh, she said, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Friend, you need Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would forbid any arrogance on our part to begin to imagine that we could live a moment without you. I believe it to be true that Mankind's greatest need is to meet you and to understand your love and your mercy that comes through your grace, shown clearly and powerfully through the death of your son Jesus on the cross. And I thank you that at the age of 15 I realized my need, but I also realized your free gift of salvation. There are others, Lord, today who need to know you as Savior. Oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman that we are, who will save us? Your word says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so for the one today who knows, because you make that clear, that they are lost and that they need to be saved, I pray you'd give them the courage to come and to confess you as Lord and Master. And then there are those of us, Lord, who walk with you, and that, I think, over time is how the arrogance would creep in, that we might begin to think we have arrived, when if we would be as honest as your servant Paul was, we desperately need you. And so, Father, I pray that you would make clear by your Holy Spirit now 
speaking into these hearts how we need you. And God, may that push us toward you with the eager and hopeful plea, we need you, Jesus. In this room, Lord, there are those facing all sorts of challenges. Help them. Help me. Help us to find our help, our hope in you. I pray in Jesus' name.